Good morning. Let us begin with a short prayer. Here we are, Father, to worship you and to hear your word. And so as we look at the life of Joseph, we pray that we will understand how your trusting sovereignty and your forgiveness extends to all of your creation. So keep us alert, keep us aware, and keep us ever mindful of your role in our lives, that we may serve you with faithfulness and love. In Christ our Lord, amen. So we have been doing a series on Old Testament prophets. So today we're doing one on Joseph, which is a story that begins in chapter 37 of Genesis and runs until chapter 50. And Sid said, that's too much, I'm leaving. <laughs> so you got me instead. But it's a great story, but it is a very detailed, somewhat complex, and somewhat diverse story. And so we're going to spend, the, the scripture that we'll have today is kind of embedded in the sermon, because to read the scripture from 37 to 50 would kind of take up too much time, for one thing, and I would lose you. So anyway, Joseph was um, a great and loving person because his love and faithfulness came from his love of God and his awareness of God's call in his life. Now, Joseph lived for 110 years, and we're going to talk to him in about, about him in about 20 minutes. So we'll see how that goes. But a synopsis of his life and times gives us a background both to understand and be inspired by the incredible power of God when we are aware of his forgiveness in our lives and share that forgiveness with others. So, as we know, Joseph had some recalcitrant brothers who didn't like him much. And he was one of 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved the other sons because he loved Ruth, his wife, more than he loved his other two wives that he had before Ruth. And so there was a lot of jealousy between the other brothers and Joseph. And to add to that, Joseph was a dreamer. And so he believed a lot of things and understood a lot of things that the brothers didn't understand. And at the point when all this happens that we hear about in that musical uh, and movie of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I thought to prepare for this, I probably ought to watch the movie. I'm really sorry I did. <laughs> it stars Donny Osmond <laughs> as Joseph. There, there is no comparison between Johnny Osmond and Joseph. I'm sorry, Johnny, or Donny. Um, so anyway... On top, so since Joseph was a dreamer, he, he made, the, made the nearly fatal mistake of interpreting his own dreams to his brothers and his father. And his first dream was that there were sheaves in the field, that sheaves are, you bring wheat together and you tie a rope around it and stand it up. So there were 12 sheaves, and the first sheaf was raised up and it stood straight. And the next 11 sheaves were stood up and they bowed to the first sheaf. sheaf. Now, obviously, the 11 other sheaves were Joseph's brothers. 
And so they didn't think much about that idea. Here's a, recal- a, a kind of a young, uh, insatiable ego, in their estimation, who is putting himself above them. And his father even had some kind of a reaction to that. And so the schemes began. They were not happy with him. And so they were tending sheep in a pasture uh, in Shechem, and Jacob, the father, sent Joseph to check up on them and see how it was going with the other 11 brothers in Shechem. So he went there, and when he got there, he found they weren't there any longer, and another shepherd told him that they had moved on uh, to Dothan, not in Alabama, but the other Dothan. Um, So he headed there. And when they saw him coming, they plotted to kill him because they said, here's our opportunity. Pop's not around. Nobody's going to know what happened. And so their plan was to kill him, throw him in a cistern, and let him die there. But one of the brothers um, was very, Reuben was the other brother, who was a little bit more tender-hearted than the rest of the brothers. And he said, well, we don't have to kill him. Let's just throw him in the cistern and be done with it. And so after they threw it, they took the coat from him, the dream coat, uh, and after they threw him in the cistern, they sat down and had lunch. Wow. Now that's pretty heartless. You throw your brother, brother and sister in, then you, okay, let's have lunch. <laughs> and while they were having lunch, along came this group, a caravan of Ishmaelites who were on their way to Egypt. And Ishmaelites traded between Egypt and Canaan and other countries. And it was inter- it's interesting to read about the Ishmaelites when you have a chance to do that. So they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites and they kept his robe and they dabbed it with sheep's blood so that when they got back home, they could tell their father that Joseph had been attacked by wild animals and was therefore dead. And when, his father, when their father heard this, uh, he was much aggrieved. And you can read all about that in chapter 37. And then Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, and he was sold to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh. And he bought him because he needed a servant for his house. But Joseph found great favor with Potiphar because Potiphar could tell that Joseph was a very, uh, very devoted to God and that he had a tender heart and took good care of things. He was a good administrator, a good organizer. And uh, so he made him charge of the house. And everything was going great until Potiphar's wife decided that she was going to try to seduce this young Joseph who was a handsome young lad, and she did everything she could to try to seduce him, and he would not succumb to that. And then at one point, she grabbed his cloak when he was in uh, proximity to her, and then ran and told Potiphar, her husband, that Joseph had raped her. And so with that, Potiphar put Joseph in prison. And while he was in prison, he ran across these two guys who had been in Potiphar's uh, house. One was a winemaker and the other was the baker. And they had dreams. And they asked him if, they could, if they could, he, he could interpret their dreams. And so he did that. And when the, when the wine taster got out and got back to Potiphar's home, everything was fine. Now the baker didn't make it because the dream that the baker had is that his head was going to be on a stake. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened to him. But the winemaker got back, and then Pharaoh had a couple of dreams, 
And he wanted somebody to interpret those dreams. And so the winemaker told Pharaoh that, Dave, uh, that jo Joseph was a good interpreter of dreams. And so he called him out of prison and brought him to his house. And so Pharaoh told him the, the dreams. One was about seven plump cows. Now, it reminded me, Sid talked about cows a couple weeks ago, but it was in a different context. Seven plump cows that were coming up out of the Nile River, and they were eaten by seven ugly, skinny cows. And then the second dream was that seven plump and good ears of corn were growing on a stalk, and then sprouted seven thin and blighted ears, and the seven skinny ears ate the seven plump ears. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But if you change ears to years, then you're on to something here. Because the interpretation was that these dreams were what meant that Egypt was going to have seven very abundant years and then seven years of famine. And so when Joseph told this to, J to um, uh, the king, Pharaoh, he said, Joseph told him all this stuff. He said, well, how are we going to deal with this? And Joseph had some ideas. And Pharaoh said, well, you seem to know what you want to do, what, we, what needs to be done, so go ahead, you're in charge. And all of a sudden, after all these things that David, had, sorry, that Joseph had been through, suddenly he's number two in command in Egypt. He's large and in charge at 30 years old. So those 10 years or 12 years between when he was 17, 18, and 30, all of this happened. He was you know, in jail, out of jail. His brothers tried to kill him, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, he's here and in charge of what's happening in Egypt. So he was a very good administrator. He did a great job during the seven uh, abundant years of gathering grain. His, his approach was, we'll keep 20% of all the grain from every year for the first seven years, and that will hold us over for the, for the next seven years of famine. And it worked out well. And he advised uh, Pharaoh exactly how he was going to do it. And so Pharaoh awarded him by making him second in his command, I said, and then he gave him a signet ring and all the accoutrements of authority. And he changed his name, interestingly, to Zaphius Pania, which means in Hebrew, the man to whom hidden things are revealed. Pretty cool description of what he was doing, right? So, and he promised him his wife, a wife, her name was Asena, and then she, they had two sons together. So, as Joseph took over, it happened. The, the first seven years were great, they had abundant crops, and then the famine hit. And so everybody around that area, all the countries, were suffering from the famine. But Joseph... Uh, since he had done such a good job, was not only able to feed the people in Egypt, but also they were selling grain to the other people, other countries in nearby. And so, since Jacob's, as Joseph's father learned that um, he was selling it, he didn't know who he was. He didn't know, he just heard about this guy in Egypt that was doing this. And so he sent his sons down to buy some grain. And this, all the sons showed up, and um, they go to Joseph, and Joseph knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was. 
And so he kind of spoke roughly to them to begin with. And in verse 7 of, or verse 9 of, of chapter 42, he said, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of our land so that you can invade it, he thought. They said, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are sons of one man. They didn't name who the man was. And we are honest. We have never been spies. And so he tested them by telling them that they couldn't go back to Canaan unless they brought back their missing brother because his brother, the younger brother, that was Rachel's other son, was Benjamin. And when they had left Canaan, Jacob would not allow, allow Benjamin to go with him because he was the youngest son and he loved him dearly like he did uh, Joseph. So the deal was this. If you want to go back, you're going to have to leave somebody here. And, and he, so he imprisoned all of them for three days. And after the third day, he said, okay, leave one person here, and then the rest of you can go back, and I'll give you grain, and you, you can take it back to the country and serve them. And so they went back, and uh, they kept the one person there. And then Jacob, they talked to Jacob, their father, and told, them what it, told him what had happened. And he said, uh, well, that's great, but I don't want my... The, the deal was, if you, when you come back, bring Benjamin with you. Well, Jacob didn't want to let Benjamin come back with them because he, was, he loved that son dearly, just like he had done Joseph. And so in chapter 44, we see that they are both tested again. And then after, the, after all this, and Joseph reveals himself to them. And this is kind of the apex of the whole story. In chapter 45, he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Interesting, that's his first question. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified of his presence. Now, you can imagine, I think, how they must have reacted. Terrified means thrown into a state of intense fear and desperation. Here, standing before them, is the number two guy in Egypt who controls everything and it's their brother, who they had thrown into the cistern and then sold to the Ishmaelites. And what are they going to say? They are absolutely in shock. I mean, what's going to happen to them? Uh, this is kind of their wow moment. Oh my gosh moment, <laughs> you might say. Um, and what they did was pretty interesting, or what, what, what uh, Joseph did. He said... I am not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. Because he said, God reveals his purposes in good times and in bad by raising up those who are faithful to him and handling the phantom, fathom, famines that plague them. So then he said to them, don't be afraid. Again, now we're back to chapter 50. This is a fast forward. Chapter 50, he says, don't be afraid. As I, am I the, in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many lives. So do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And be assured and speak kindly to the others, he said. So Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his family because his father had come in the meantime. So the whole family came, a total of 70 people, and he had arranged with Pharaoh 
for them to come. They were shepherds, and shepherds were not well regarded in Egypt. But they agreed to set aside a land, Goshen, that would be their land. And so they all came down and lived kind of happily ever after because uh, J Joseph had been so kind to them. So this is really an amazing story of how a man took circumstances that were given to him, if you will, and addressed them in such a way that he understood this was God's plan for his life. This wasn't just a bunch of happenstance, good things, bad things happening, but that everything that happened to him was a result of what God had planned for him to lead a nation that was going through famine, starvation, and all those things that were very, very negative. And the good thing was that he had prepared for that. And he had convinced everybody that that kind of preparation was necessary in order to survive. Now, it came to the point, even in Egypt, in the seven years of famine, in about the fifth year, everybody was running out of grain. And so he negotiated with everybody in the country that he would buy their land and Pharaoh would hold it, except for the priests. The priests got exempt from this. Uh, but everybody else would buy, sell their land to him, and then he would give them seed, and they could keep the land. They kind of became sharecroppers, because uh, at that point, Pharaoh owned all the land. But the outcome was very positive in that they survived these seven years of famine, and uh, Joseph was the reason for that happening. Now, all that to say... How does that impact us today? As we look at the story, and I hope you go home and read it, it's chapters 35 to 50, or 37 to 50. It's a great story. It's probably better to read that than go see the Jesus Revolution or whatever this movie at the top is. Um, how many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution? I mean, people are flogging. Uh, I, they paid me to do a commercial here. Um, not really. <laughs> But this story, if you delve into it, is phenomenal in understanding how one person who understands God's guidance in their life and God's call upon their life can have an impact on what's happening in the world. You know, we had a missionary here last Sunday who talks about that. We support missionaries who are out there. They're doing this very thing that Joseph did. They're going into a country and making a huge impact on what's happening there because they are being faithful to God's call in their life. And the same thing is our call, that we are to be faithful to how God calls us in our community, in our congregation, and in the world. And the things that we do here as a congregation are so important to the Coachella Valley. You know, Songshine is one example. All the other submissions that we, mission groups that we had here last, year, last week are great examples of how that can happen. And so, just personally, I really commend this congregation and many individuals in this congregation who are very, very involved in really stepping out into the world and dealing with the issues that are facing us locally, nationally, and internationally. We can pray, and we certainly should pray, but we also can act and do things that make a difference, a huge difference in the lives of the others and in their future. So I think a couple of illustrations of how jo uh, Joshua was 
similar to Jesus, if you will. Um, I'm sorry, I said Joshua. Joseph was similar to Jesus. Now, there's an organization that put out a list that indicated there were 60 ways that Joseph and Jesus were similar. I'm not going to read all those to you. (laughs) But a couple of examples that I think highlight the similarities. Joseph was a shepherd. Jesus was known as the good shepherd. And this whole idea about a shepherd who is gentle, loving, kind, caring, diligent, and who seeks out the lost sheep, somebody that goes out and finds those who have lost the way. At the same time, while they're all those things, they are also always on point. They're on top of things. They know what's going on in their environment. Remember, shepherds were the first people that went to Jesus' cradle when he was born. Interesting that they are the most astute and immediately aware of what's going on around them. And I think the idea is that God has blessed them with spiritual gifts like compassion and care and discernment, things that we talk a lot about in the Siva ministry program, for example. So first of all, he's a shepherd, and Jesus was a shepherd. Secondly, he was sold as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And then Joseph stored up bread to save Egypt. And Jesus is the bread of life. And if you think about the similarities, I think it's helpful to understand that although Jesus is the Son of God and nobody comes close to Jesus in uh, how we are to live, we have great examples in the Old Testament of these prophets who were aware of how they had been called to do what they did. So Joseph was the epitome of somebody who lived with strong conviction and nothing in all creation was going to be able to separate him from the love of God and understanding what his role was in that. In good times and in bad times, he stayed focused on what was supposed to be happening. And he never went into a period where he was in a frantic panic about what was going on because he knew God was in charge. And we know this from the 23rd Psalm, right? Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, Joseph hadn't heard that psalm at the point where he was doing this, but he was certainly a good example of somebody who believed and lived that psalm. Now, we're in the period of Lent, which is a time of reflection and self-denial. And I think we see that in Joseph. He denied himself many times in order to do what God called him to do. He suffered, but then he led. uh, And he redeemed his relationship, restored his relationship, reconciled his relationship with his brothers. And sometimes, as we know, Family is the toughest people to become reconciled with. And so during this period of self-denial and reflection in, in uh, Eastertide, it's important for us to remember that 
And being good Presbyterians, which we don't talk much about here, I don't think, uh, or at least not as much as I think we ought to, um, reminded me of John Calvin, who was the founder of our uh, Reformed faith in Presbyterian Church. And I think this whole thing about self-denial is well summarized in a writing in his institutes that's called A Summary of the Christian Life of Self-Denial. And I think Joseph is a good example of that, and that's why I want to share this with you. Calvin writes, We are not our own. Therefore, neither is our, our reason or our will to rule our acts and counsels. We are not our own. Therefore, let us not make it our end to seek what may be agreeable to our carnal nature. We are not our own. Therefore, as far as possible, let us forget ourselves and the things that are ours. On the other hand, we are God's. Therefore, let us live and die to him. We are God's. Therefore, let his wisdom and will preside over all our actions. We belong to God. To him, then, as the only legitimate end, let every part of our life be directed. Well, Joseph was a role model for that way of living. And we strive, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to live with that same focus and vision. And it's possible because we know that we have the assurance of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ that we can, as Joseph wrote, God intended it to be good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. He assured them and spoke kindly to them. And he stayed with them till his dying day with the assurance that God will surely come to you, looking to the future, and take you up out of this land to where the land, to the land you were promised. So it's all about reconciliation. It's about awareness. It's about understanding the love and compassion and forgiveness and sensitivity that God has for us. And it is because of God's forgiveness that we are able to forgive. It is because of God's love that we are able to love. And it's because of God's mercy and strength and promise of eternal life that we live as Christians looking to eternal life, not looking just to this mortal life. And so this promise of a faithful God and the assurance by which Joseph lived, may that be so for you and for all of us. And may it be so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.